thank you for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. With me as always, my co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. And I'm your other co-host, Cam. We are so glad to be back with you on Popcorn for Breakfast uh, after, you know, some some abnormal scheduling. I think that's been the case the majority of the summer, but we don't need to pay any attention to that because all that matters is that we're here now. You know, lots of things are happening. You know, typically, talk show hosts will go uh, a full summer. Like They work on school schedules. They work a full right. summer where they have their break. You know, the writer's strike is out there. We were just taking a small break to get our affairs in order. And there is a lot that's been happening that we are not going to tell you. It's all, it's all private. Well, and we're cooking up some exciting stuff too, which I think That's is good, right. and that will be that will be revealed in, in due time, um, which is great. We've got we've got lots of exciting things coming on the podcast. We ain't going nowhere. We got Hello. lots of lots of things in the hopper that we are working on, and you know we've missed a few reviews here or there. A couple of big movies. We're gonna we're gonna swing back around and get those uh, since we last spoke. HBO Max turned into Max, and in what is probably one of the dumbest uh, marketing moves in the history of dumb marketing moves. I mean, we, we, we've been talking about that ever since it was announced. Just like mm. imagine taking <laughs> the brand equity of HBO, one of, one of the most, you know, a premium brand, a brand that is like multi-billion dollars that, that is synonymous with prestige television and just like, eh, don't need that. We'll choose a generic word like Max. I what just a, I'm floored. What a decision! It's like uh, it's like calling Oreos just O's. Like, well, we're just gonna drop this down to yeah. O's, and people will know exactly who we are. No, no, they won't. This it's is terrible. This decision. is the same thing as the IHOP IHOB. This is the same. Oh. To me, this is the same. And the only difference is that IHOB IHOP was smart enough to just like play it off as some uh, elaborate joke. They were like, oh, that? Yeah, that was just us trolling. We're not actually going to make burgers. We're going to stay a pancake joint, but we also have burgers on our menu. Um, yeah, I don't know. The, right. Like, Max should figure out something with that because the new branding is generic and crappy, and getting rid of HBO was stupid. Very and stupid. And the best, the best part about it, I've been watching a lot of – old films or not well i guess they're older from the 90s uh on hbo on max and every time you load up a movie it says hbo <laughs> hbo films yeah and nowhere does it say just max no yet. and now we're gonna yeah like i guess with anything that comes out now it'll be like a max original which is just so stupid because like Discovery has no brand equity. People know about Discovery, but nobody cares about it. In fact, I think it has like negative brand equity. Like if I hear that a show is on a Discovery network, I'm like, ew, I'm not watching that. That's disgusting. I'm going to get you an ew button. So when someone tells you about a movie or show you don't like, ew, I can put it on the soundboard. That's how I feel about Discovery. I, I, well, and you just think like the great, I mean, the greatest shows of all time, if you if you just started listing them off the top of the dome, like guaranteed eighty percent of the of the shows that you named would be from HBO and and would remind you of HBO, um, and that's not just us. That's you know everybody knows HBO. It's been around forever. So 
Correct. That happened. Stupid. Um, I I do I, I really dislike it. Though the you know the, their content library is unmatched. But that was really I, I think that was the case prior to the re- rebrand too. It's like okay now you've added all this Discovery Plus stuff, which is great for people who like reality TV. Um, but the the film and television library was already like the tops in my yeah. opinion. Better than Netflix. Better than Disney Plus. Better than Prime Video. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Was there anything that, I mean, did, were you of that mindset heading into it? That's all. That's, I just knew that HBO is the top. You know what I want to find out, Cam, is is someone out there pro Max. <laughs> They're like, no way. Yes! That's the hill they die Well, presumably on. whatever numbskull VP, senior vice president of marketing stumbled their way into a six-figure job and, and yeah. came up with that plan. I mean, I don't <laughs> <laughs> I think they're a pretty big fan of it. Outside of that, I can't imagine anybody else is very stoked. I want to meet that person. I just want to see are they are they happy about their life choices? It's cousin uh, Greg. It's cousin it's, Greg. That's who it is. It's <laughs> but not the actor, the the character. This is like who they based the character off of in the show. That's who that's who did this. Yes. It's yes, yes. The <laughs> decisions were left to the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely were. Definitely were. Uh, what else has happened? Oh, well, we had the uh, the festival uh, festival de Cannes or the Cannes Film Festival, Can. um, or as I like to call it, the clap off, because this is where they uh, I don't know if you guys know about this. They they go and they watch movies, and then they you know how sometimes you're at a baseball game and they're like noiseometer. Let's see how much how excited you are to be here. Make some noise, and the thing goes. And they play some music, you know, until it, it goes yep. off. That's what the Cannes Film Festival is for film. Mm-hmm. You watch like some some Yorgos Lanthimos film, and then they ask you to applaud for as know, long as, as you <laughs> physically can. As long as you feel is, the film has earned an applause. And here's what I've gathered: right. the closer to ten minutes you get, that's money. If you if you exceed ten minutes, that's like cash in the bank. If you are below eight minutes, I think you're trash. That's that's how Cannes feels. If you're below eight minutes, you're garbage. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I also want to know the criteria for this. Like, does it have to be the majority of the theater is still clapping? Can someone stick it out? Like, if everyone else stops clapping, but you've got one person who's probably paid to be there, as long as they can physically keep clapping. Yeah, like a filibuster. A filibuster, yeah. A clapping <laughs> filibuster. <laughs> They're like, all right, that Dave, go be. on. Keep going. I'm going to go get some popcorn. I'll be back. I'm going to go get some waters for the boys. You you keep it up. And Scorsese's in the back like, all right, we got to kill this guy. He's so got to stop watch. Claps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, and, and it's so stupid because I think you and I, we make fun of this every year as well as many other movie pundits out there because it's it's one of the dumbest things in the history of the world. Without yes. with without a doubt, but every year I'm like, oh, only five minutes of clapping, huh? Only five minute ovation. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> and this year, the film that got five minutes that uh, unfortunately caught my eye was Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Wah, 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 wah. Which Kirk? What what is Disney even doing? Bringing Indiana Jones and Elemental to cans? Like, what are they no. actually? What are they trying to achieve there? What a waste of money and a waste of, of marketing. Like, that's not their scene. They need to stay out of there. there. There's zero reason for them to take 
any marketing dollars over that way. And zero upside, right? Because, uh, I mean, I guess there's a chance these guys like your movie, but they're the, the, the people that are there are not your target audience, and they're not the types of critics and film fans that you want being the first people to see your movie because if they you know if they have a rotten tomatoes credentials then uh i mean they can cook you alive they they can they can they can kill your movie before it even gets to the theater a lot of deals happen at the Cannes festival and you know indiana jones and elemental they need no help on distributing or marketing deals right. or purchasing right. deals. They're done. They're they're already in the bag. It's no reason for them to be there. Dude, I read that I read that um Elemental um the budget was 200 million dollars for an animated film. And this is this is mind you, after Disney came off the stinker of all stinkers, Strange World. Like bold. <laughs> that like that is crazy bold. And I know that that was, that was not Pixar, but Lightyear was. Yeah. And Lightyear did awful in the theaters. Yeah. And, and I think that there's this, um, there's this perception almost, almost specifically with Disney that like you should not see it in the theater because it's going to be on Disney Plus in three weeks. Because that has sort of been the case with every animated movie in recent memory. So... I just even if even if it's well marketed, and I don't know that I would say that Elemental has been super well positioned. I think they have done very little to position it as something other than uh, Zootopia Inside Out knockoff. Um, so I just even if it's well marketed, I still think there's people out there that just go, "Well, I subscribe to Disney Plus. I'll just wait it out." It's very well possible that that is so. Yes. I, uh, I'm i not in that camp yet, but maybe I'll get there, especially if they keep cranking out all these live actions. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was the one thing about our release schedule. And it's it's nothing, it's literally nothing against um, The Little Mermaid specifically, but I was kind of glad that we didn't see it in theaters yet. Because... Um, if there's one thing I hate, it's these Disney live actions. I really hate them. And I've continued to give them my money and my eyeballs year after year after year. And I don't know why. I don't know why I continue to do this because I actively dislike them and I'm actively against them as a, as a premise. And so like, why am I seeing the little, why am I seeing beauty and the beast in theaters? Why am I seeing lion King live action in theaters? Why am I doing this? Um, I guess to support cinema, but I want these to go away. So maybe we need to organize an active boycott, not for the little mermaid, but for whatever stupid live action, definitely Moana. I want to, I want to boycott the crap out of that. I want to go full, full scale, like kill this thing. Because if we're going to remake movies into live action that aren't even 10 years old, like, or maybe it is 10 years old, but like not even 15 years old, it's got to stop. Somehow this has to stop. I think Moana is going to get canned. I do. I think there's time for it to get canned. I know that we just got some news today that Hamilton, the musical director, Thomas Kale is now the director of this film, which kudos to him. Great, great news for him specifically, but not for the better of humanity because no one needs to see the live action of this film. It needs to go out the window. And I think that the rocks toxicity will lead to that. It might, it might. 
I don't know. Uh, we can only hope. But I, I seriously like. I'm I'm done. I'm I'm done. I'm not gonna watch Peter Pan and Wendy. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna watch it on Disney Plus. I will watch Little Mermaid when it comes out on Disney Plus, just because I like Lin Manuel Miranda and I like Halle Bailey and yeah. I want to like. People have said good things about her performance. I want to see it. But mm-hmm. I'm 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 glad to not be giving my dollars to Disney in theaters for that movie because I feel like I want all the live actions to end. I want them to end. That's right. That's right. We'll make shirts and other merch that is all about anti Moana. Yes. Live action specifically. Let's let's we be will. clear. We're gonna go to town hall meetings and they're gonna be like, Why are you talking about this? We're just gonna go we're gonna <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna cause a real stir. We're gonna make it somebody's problem. It's gonna be somebody's problem. Town halls that have no idea the movie is even in production and can know, do nothing about it, <laughs> even if they wanted to. They could. They, there's nothing they can do at all. Nothing. They have no power whatsoever toward the decision. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna call my senator. Is this what people call senators for? Yes. I'm gonna do it. Yes. I'm gonna. I'm gonna call them and be like. Um, Excuse me, excuse me, Senator Chapin Rose. I'm going to need your help here, please. <laughs> yes, uh, I'd like to can the live action Moana. The live action Moana. What are you talking about? Yeah, what are you good for as a senator if you can't cancel a movie that I'm not that I'm not interested in being created? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to know. All right, well, Kirk, that's a that's a good recap of kind of where things stand. But let's get into what's what else is going on. We're not going to get to all the news. But let's go ahead and pop it up and get into some of the news stories that have caught our eye over the last week or so. Let's do it. Pop it. First up, as you know, talk of the town this week is, of course, the subject of our next review, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. This is, of course, the sequel um, to the animated classic, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I think I think it has earned the title of animated classic at this point. Critically revered, loved by fans of all, um, particularly Spider-Fans. Beautiful movie. Some call it a near-perfect superhero film. Some call it the best superhero film of all time. And the sequel to that film is coming out this week. So, it was the perfect time for executive producer Amy Pascal, who is... Essentially, the Kevin Feige, the the creative genius behind uh, the Sony Spider-Verse, to sit down with Variety and have a chat with them about what's going on with with all of their spider projects. And two interesting nuggets came out of that conversation, Kirk. Number one, Spider-Man 4, starring Tom Holland, is in the works, but is on hold indefinitely due to... The WGA writer strike, ah. which is, I mean, how many, how, how many times have we heard that over the last few weeks? And, um, it continues to suck and we continue to root for fair treatment and fair pay of, uh, of writers and that it all gets sorted out. But, you know, sometimes the good fight has to be fought, you know, and, uh, that's, that's what's happening now, but it does suck that things are, are halting and, and hopefully the studios are starting to feel it. That's the tricky part about this fight is that the, the big wigs, the suits, they know that people are going to get angry at the writers, even though it's not their decision to come to. It's the executives. Like just now, I was like, ah, why why must they still be on strike? And my mind went immediately to went to keep writing. But it's like, no, put that pen down. That's Stop right. Stop it. 
And then I thought of the um, uh, the song from Beauty and the Beast, the musical, the stage musical that says, how long must this go on about the WGA writing strike? <laughs> of course. Me too. I mean, how could you not? <laughs> how, how could that not be the first thing that comes to your mind? <laughs> I know it was in your head immediately too. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. But you're right. I, I think that's a, I think that's a, a, a great, a great point that, you know, they kind of want to use the, the, fan hatred and directed at the writers because it's called in all the media, it's called the writer strike. Right. So it's not like, because they are the ones who are striking. And so it's an accurate title, but it also to the, to the uninformed, to the uninitiated. And even just if you take your, your, your hands off the wheel for a second and aren't paying active attention to what you're reading. Um, it, it sounds like this is the writer's fault. They are, they are striking and I don't get movies because of that. And that makes me angry or television or what have you. So yeah, I get that. And uh, man, all I, all I can say again is just hope that that comes to an end, but we all knew Spider-Man four was coming. Um, now it makes you wonder how long will that be? We've also heard on the MCU side that uh, wonder man is uh, canned indefinitely or basically not canned. Sorry. That was shelved indefinitely until they can get that sorted out as well as um, there was one other show that I can't remember now. Um, but the, the two of the big Disney plus shows that are coming out are, are, are uh, everybody hold. hates Chris, the revival. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, so, so Spider-Man four in the active works and the one that I think was, was, will probably be a little bit more surprising perhaps is that Amy Pascal said that a live action. Oh, sorry. Thunderbolts movie was the other one that just occurred to me in my head. Thunderbolts. The movie yes. is on hold as well. Do the right strike. Uh, Amy Pascal confirmed that a live action miles Morales film is in the works, which I mean, we've been begging for this since, since Spider-Man homecoming because um, Donald Glover famously plays Aaron Davis in that film. And so yes. everybody's like, Aaron Davis exists in the MCU. Therefore, <laughs> by proxy, Miles Morales must exist somewhere in this universe as well. And since that time has been whew, gone, nothing, silence. Um, then, of course, we got the, the wonderful Spider-Verse movie, you know, four or five something years ago, uh, which was great. And... Uh, everybody's clamoring for miles Morales stuff. And now they're saying that it's in the very early works. Here's the thing though, Kirk, is this thing going to exist in the MCU or, you know, via, via some sort of Tom Holland, Spider-Man agreement, or will it exist only in Sony's live action spider universe? Oh, that makes my brain hurt. I don't, I don't want it to not exist in the MCU. Don't you think, don't you hope that since Venom has now officially crossed over via uh, post-credit scene, via post-credit scene, it's I valid. Mean, it, it, I mean, yes, it is the valid. MCU. Don't you think that they're going to, you know, blue skidoo right out of the, the animated pages and into the real world? Oh, yeah, that could be fun. Right? How how did this not occur to me? Is are they gonna? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess because the, this um, Spider Verse thing is, is, I guess, a trilogy. 
Though I'm, I'm still confused about that because they were originally calling this film Across the Spider-Verse Part 1, and now it's not. And now they're calling mm-hmm. the next film Beyond the Spider-Verse. So I'm like, was that Part 2, or did they ax Part 2, or is this movie now both parts, and then that movie's the end? Of, I, I'm so confused by that. But yeah, I guess I was just thinking it was sort of a self-contained thing, and that they would have to wrap that before Blue Skidooing, as you said, into <laughs> the MCU live-action world. Um, but that's something that could be done. It's some, that's certainly something that could be done and makes a lot of sense. I and I would really appreciate it if Steve shows up, Steve Burns comes in, <laughs> <laughs> grabs Miles Morales and says, Hey, I've got a way for you to get to the real world. Do you see the portal? Do it, you? Yeah. It's what we've been talking about into the Skidooniverse. <laughs> Miles, Miles Morales into the MCU Skidooniverse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see we as soon as the writer's strike ends we need to sign up and get our union cards yeah yeah it's like our terrible ideas now don't sound that bad it's like That's eh, like, eh? <laughs> actually the writers are going to use this clip to promote why they're needed so badly <laughs> they're gonna be like you see you see what happens you see what happens the people they start to think about things and that's not good it's not good um yeah, I mean, I think that would make a lot of sense. What's what's the name of the kid who plays Miles? Uh, Shamik Moore. Shamik okay. Moore would make a great live action um, Miles, and Haley Steinfeld would make an excellent live action Gwen, and they could just do it all, do it all up. But she's already the other. Oh, she's already Kate Bishop. Oh no. Oh, this is it, Kirk. We found the problem. But if they exist in different universes, like if they come if they come into the real world, not in the world that we know our current Avengers, right, then it right. could work. Then it wouldn't be a problem. And then there could be like, you look familiar. And then they say, huh, that's interesting. Okay, yes, but I'll raise you this. Okay. How sad is it going to be when this movie is only in this Sony Spider-Verse and we just have to see, we have to... You have to see Miles like punching Jared Leto in the face for a whole movie or something. I mean, hold on. Now that I say that out loud, <laughs> hold on, hold on. I like the idea of this. <laughs> 90 straight minutes <laughs> of what's his name? Shamik. Yeah. Of Shamik punching the living daylights out of Jared Leto. And he's like, say it, say it. And Jared Leto's like, it's Morbin time. It's Morbin. T- <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll sign me up. I'll take it. I want the. Oh, I, I want say it. no more. I, I'm in. But on a serious note, it has to be in the MCU, or else it's significantly less interesting. Oh, it. Well, that's not necessarily true. It has to be. If it's not in the MCU, in my opinion, it has to not be co- connected to all these wacko villain spinoff movies. Um, mm-hmm. The Cravens and the Morbiuses and the Venoms of the world. Agreed. So, I'm excited, but I'm cautiously excited. And you, you mentioned the um, post-credit scene crossovers. Those have been a disaster. And um, <laughs> I'm like fairly certain that they did some of those without the written, the express written consent of Marvel Studios because 
the vulture thing at the end of Morbius was insane. Insane. Like, here comes freaking Michael Keaton. Sorry for spoiler alert, but this movie's like two, three years old. Two, two years old now. Um, here comes Michael Keaton using the tech that he was using in a film where that tech got destroyed. And like just showing up and being like, what's up? Let's let's get to work. Um, yeah. Disgusting. No way Kevin Feige signed off on that. And the Venom stuff, that was like a post-credit scene in Venom and then a post-credit scene on Spider-Man No Way Home. But he never appeared in Spider-Man No Way Home at all. And, and each post-credit scene makes like the second post-credit scene made the, the, the preceding post-credit scene irrelevant. He like... <laughs> He, he got zapped into one universe and zapped out in two consecutive post-credit scenes. It made no sense. It made no sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I'm really lost on all of those. It was just like, oh, they're connected. But you're like, but none of this makes sense. But also they're not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He like he like stepped foot in the MCU for a total screen time of 30 seconds and then immediately stepped out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're all now stupider because of the post-credit scenes that we have witnessed. We are, we are. So I, I want, I want this Miles Morales movie so far away from all that, but I don't know that Sony's got to make money. So it ultimately, I don't envision a world in where it doesn't tie into those, which is just it makes me sad now that I say that. And on that note, let's move on. <laughs> I don't want to talk about your sadness. I, yeah, please, let's <laughs> let's not let's not. Um, <laughs> In other news, this will be a quite a gear shift. Martin Scorsese met with the Pope. Martin Scorsese met with the Pope, and he had this to say. I have responded to the Pope's appeal to artists, um, and breaking the quotations real quick, I guess the Pope was like asking artists to talk about God, talk about their faith, something like that. Anyway, resuming the quote now. I have responded to the Pope's appeal to artists in the only way I know how by imagining and writing a screenplay for a film about Jesus end quote. Now here's the thing, Marty, you, you already did this. <laughs> you already made a, You already made a film, uh, the last temptation of Christ mm-hmm. starring Willem Dafoe. And it was kind of like about the whole Jesus story. So, yeah. What story, and he also made Silence, which, you know, not about Jesus, but about the Catholic faith um, yes. in some ways. What would this movie be? It's the a birth? complete mystery. The birth. Could it be, a, uh, you know, the Christmas story? That would be cool. I would like that because he's at, at length at the end uh, of Jesus's life, the effects and the the faith that people have, and he's true to all of it. If, I know that the the Last Temptation of Christ is pretty controversial. I've admittedly never seen it, but going back to the birth would be pretty fantastic to see how it affects the culture. And there's a lot of tension, and there's a lot of honestly violence <laughs> that that breaks out mm-hmm. because of. Who, who's going to believe this? Who is uh, who is being judged for it, and who is being killed for saying such things? Yeah, that could be very interesting. Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, and that's total speculation. I think 
obviously if, if you say you're going to make a movie about Jesus, everybody thinks about the crucifixion and, you know, the events leading. I mean, they think about the gospels. They think about like, you know, the miracles of Jesus, the temptation of Christ, the, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection and so on. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we've, we've had the passion of the Christ, which did the same and is getting a sequel. Um, so it's, it's just hard to know what he means by that, but he's got the thing written. We don't have any plot details yet. They're getting ready to start production, I suppose. But he, he said, he says he's written a screenplay in the, in the, uh, Hollywood reporter article. It said something about, you know, trying to be as his, he's trying to be as personal as possible with his, uh, I don't know, his understanding uh, of his faith uh, kind of to, mm-hmm. to shorten it, to shrink it, cliff notes, right? So what if it's actually um, more so about that? I mean, this could be his fablemans possibly. That would be Ooh. interesting as well to see him uh, come into being introduced to, to faith and, and to Jesus and to religion in general and, and to see how that affects him and how that affects each of his films what if that's the Jesus movie that he's speaking about? It could be. I mean, I think all options are on the table. It's just, it's hard to, it's hard to know uh, what that means, especially like his, you know, you put that thought against his filmography and it's like, what does that mean? What, what does, what, what could this look like? So um, it's hard to imagine anything except for the last temptation of Christ, which I have not, I've not seen either. Um, so interesting, but we're, if we're, I'm a betting starting. man, if I'm a betting man, I have very insane ideas and you have typically logical ideas that connect the dots. So I'm going to say you're probably correct on this one. And no, we'll play this clip again when it gets announced on what the synopsis is, I don't know. I feel like if there was a good, like Christmas story movie to be made, it would have been made, but you know, Martin score says he's a creative genius. So maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't really know. It's interesting nonetheless. It's interesting mm-hmm. nonetheless. All right, moving on. A couple of quick things here as we uh, wrap things up. Um, Andy Muschietti, who is the director of this new Flash movie that is imminently approaching the th- uh, its theatrical release and has been as buzzy as a, as a movie can buzz. It's a buzzy little thing. And... Um, so he's been doing some press and is obviously getting peppered with questions about Ezra Miller. And I found it interesting that when recently asked about Ezra Miller's future in the DC universe, Andy Muschietti replied with, I don't think there's anyone that can play that character as well as Ezra did as well as they did. Um, and, and said, uh, basically responding to a question about would Ezra be recast? And so that was the response, which makes it sound like now, now granted he didn't say that Ezra won't be recast. He just said, I don't think that anyone could play the role as well as Ezra did, but there's a lot of buzz about, Oh, the performance is so good. It, it's, you know, it's blowing people away. People are going to forget about all the crazy <laughs> criminal allegations against Ezra Miller. Um, So there's that. And then uh, he was also asked about a Batman movie. You know, what, what direction would you take on a Batman film? And his quote was, I don't think I can talk to that yet. 
So we know that one of the one of the first films coming out in uh, James Gunn's vision for the DC universe, his new DC uh, cinematic universe, is Batman: The Brave and the Bold. So now uh, his comments, Andy Muschietti's comments, have people speculating that he will be selected as the director of that film. Now, Kirk, we haven't seen the flash, so it's hard to, it's hard to react to whether or not that's a good thing. And for all intents and purposes, perhaps we do know how he would approach a Batman movie because the flash kind of looks like a Batman movie in a lot of ways. But, uh, what's your reaction to either of those points, either with, with Ezra perhaps continuing on and the role um, of Barry Allen and uh, Andy Muschietti potentially being, you know, potentially directing a Batman movie to follow up The Flash. Yeah, you know, I think the comment that no one else could play The Flash other than Ezra Miller is a cop-out because Ezra Miller had already played The Flash in two films, three films maybe, two and a half, 2.25, you know, his little snippet in the in Batman v Superman, I think, is where it was uh, kind of teased. The role this particular tale was written to uh, to echo, to magnify the talents of Ezra Miller before Ezra Miller lost their mind. And I think that what would be really incredible is that, you know, they, what, what, what's his name? Andy says there's not another person that he can see playing the Flash. But, you know, you said the word granted. And then I thought, oh, Grant Gustin, oh, who no. played the Flash for nine seasons on the CW. I think that it's his time. You know, he just hung his boots up over on, on the CW. Uh, and the Arrowverse has officially concluded. And I I think it's time. I think it's time we give Grant Gustin and the people what they want. Listen, though. The CW is trash. Okay. Yeah, of course. Garbage. Garbage time. Can anyone yes. from any of those series really be considered to play the same character on the, on, on the silver screen. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Just grant. Just you think grant. so? <laughs> I do. I really do. Because man, those CW shows are cringy and I, I apologize to anyone who likes them, but the, 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 the budgets are low. So the costumes are terrible. The special effects are terrible. They yep. take certain liberties with, the the story and the powers of the characters that they have at their disposal. It's hard to watch. It's like watching Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, to be quite honest with you. It, like it you've, honestly feels you've crossed that way. a line. You no, crossed a line. Seriously, it is. It is. <laughs> it's just like that. It's like watching a it's like watching a uh you know, like a live action Japanese show from the from the nineteen nineties that was like dubbed over. Um it's bad. It's really bad. Yeah. So it is rough. Those CW shows need to be put put to rest. And what better way to apologize for not casting Grant Gustin than allowing him to be the next The Flash? Is that how I say that? The next The, the Flash. The next The Flash. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to do. This is my this is my solemn oath. I'm going to research all this all the Ezra Miller stuff because there were a lot of headlines floating around. I think it, you know Ezra was a was a hot topic. For a long time, there were lots of allegations. There was this whole freaking crime spree that they went on. Um, I want to know where everything landed. What what allegations are still out there? What's he under, like, what, sorry, what are they under investigation for? What did 
you know, was not true? What were there mm-hmm. things that Ezra allegedly did that have been, you know, debunked? Um, also, all the stuff from the past, like around Fantastic Beast times about domestic violence and things like that. Like, I, w- I want to get into all of it. I want to be an expert on this so that I can form an opinion because I just feel I feel weird about the whole situation and a little icky about it. And I think people need to you know, decide where they stand on this whole thing and decide if it's worth taking a stand. Um, it's, it's tough because Hollywood is full of lizard people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like so, so many. many, so many. And, and certainly oh. we've seen lots of films starring people who have really questionable backgrounds and have done questionable things or, or, or really horrific things. And, and so it's like, sheesh, where do you draw the line? But maybe, maybe there is a point to draw a line and maybe this is it. I don't know. Um, but people talk about this movie like it's gonna, like it's gonna change the world. So they I'm do. Just like I'm just they like really I don't do. know how it could possibly live up to the hype at this point. They talk about it like it's, I mean, multiple people have said it's the greatest superhero movie they've ever seen. Like well-respected people, like James Gunn, who kind of doesn't have to do that. He could be like, kind of distancing himself from that because it's mm-hmm. not part of his original vision. Whatever. I don't know. I don't know. He could just not watch it or watch it and be silent about it, right? He could have. He could have. But he thoroughly enjoyed it and has not been afraid to say so. Um, Not afraid to to let Tom Cruise get a copy also. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and then Tom Cruise is like, this is the greatest, one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. (laughs) He flies you out to his mansion on a private (laughs) helicopter. And uh, he invites you in for drinks and, and rubs your, your shoulders like, I cannot believe how fantastic this was. <laughs> That's a terrifying thought. But yes, I'm so I'm just like so I'm, I'm so conflicted and so confused as to where where, where this this will go and, and where things stand. But there's your news on that. A couple of other quick things. John Wick 5 is apparently in the early works at Lionsgate. This is according to the Lionsgate. Uh, chief, I I'm not gonna say anything about anything on this other than Kirk thoughts on on John Wick Five. Do you want more John Wick? Uh, I don't know how I feel honestly. I don't know how I feel. I can we talk about spoilers from John Wick Four yet? No, oh, I I, well, I don't I know. know I don't I think we can. I don't think we can. <laughs> My take is. I, I love the John Wick movies. I love the John Wick universe. I'm excited for spinoffs and things like that. Mm-hmm. But there, there is a concern that the more you build out the world, the less interesting <laughs> it becomes. Because there's yeah. just like, it's again, we've talked about it. It's a delicate balance between like what John Wick is and how much world building you need to sustain, sustain that there, there just really is, they're walking a tightrope. So, um, I thought all four, the, all four movies were great. I wasn't necessarily clamoring for a fifth when I, after I got done with four, but that's not because four was bad. So yeah, it's tough. You've done, you've done four films so successfully. Well, there are very few beats in any of those four that you want to, just like turn it off or Mm -hmm. you never get bored. Like it's very well constructed. Mm -hmm. Can you do it a fifth time in a row? Statistically, it's not looking good, but (laughs) the odds decrease with each sequel, right? That's sort of how that goes. It just, that's right. It just sort of is. So we'll see. Uh, We'll see if it continues and, and, and what we get to. 
Kirk, I want to talk about this one. TBS is reviving dinner in a movie. Yes. Now, I, like this was a bit. This was a bit. Bef- I mean, I don't know that it was before my time, but it wasn't. I, I, if it was, if it was in the cultural zeitgeist, I was outside of the zeitgeist because I I was not familiar with this oh. show. Um, but I, I, you know, I've seen positive reactions on socials. Were, were you into this? I was one hundred percent into this TBS. Dinner in a movie. There was a guy and a girl. They were making some sort of dish. Uh, sometimes, I think when they started, it had nothing to do with the movie. And then as they went on, they would pick like a meal that they might have seen in the movie, possibly. Uh, they had special guests stop by, whether they were in the movie or um, in a movie with one of the the stars of the movie they were showing. So like if they had, if they were showing, I don't know. Uh, let's say uh, Terminator 2, they might have Danny DeVito stop by from Twins. I don't think that happened, but that's what it would be like. And they would just chat and, and riff briefly about fun facts uh, about the movie. It was like pop-up movie uh, VH1 for dinner. <laughs> it was just Yeah, great. so was it like picture in picture? Like the movie was on while they were cooking stuff? Not always. Let me clarify. So okay. they would come on during the commercial breaks while the film was running. Oh, okay. And so okay. Okay. You would have different sponsors. They would have uh, so product placement was huge. They would say and check out this popcorn and check out this soft drink. Uh, check out this whatever. And then they would cut to like one or two commercials, and then they would go back to the movie. So as oh. a kid watching commercials, it wasn't so bad because you had continued entertainment and fun facts about the movie. I didn't really care about the meal that they were cooking at all because it looked everything looked gross to me that wasn't pizza and chicken nuggets. But it's very fun. It's a very fun, constructive uh, entertainment vehicle to reshow films. That's awesome. Well, good for them. I think that'll be great, and I, I think it'll be really great for the um, the seventeen people who still watch movies on TBS <laughs> uh, during a, a broadcast. So. Uh, Kudos to them. Big day for those guys. Uh, yes. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be great. Okay. Last couple things. They're making a movie called Mace, which for all intents and purposes sounds like training day, race reversal. Like yeah. um, white cop who is dirty uh, mm-hmm. with, a, with a black... Uh, cop who is a trainee and just start from there and go let let your imagination take the wheel i'm sure you can imagine you know training training day is like one of the most i mean it's like it's it's essential cinema everybody would tell you like it's from our generation like that's a that's a huge movie it's a it's a massive deal everybody has it on their list of like here are movies from the you know the last 30 years you have to watch and it's going to star Shia LaBeouf as the dirty cop it does which that makes sense but I don't understand why they would do something like that I mean it truly it truly screams at how much originality in the writing has been diluted and um, hopefully that will just increase the the value of the of the writers maybe we lost a bunch of writers like what what if we lost a bunch of really good writers or they retired because they were so sick of the pay they didn't want to stay mm. for the for the mm. writer's strike maybe we lost them years ago because yes as you said training day absolutely 
Essential Cinema. Uh, it won Denzel Washington his Oscar win for the second uh, African-American male to win an Oscar for Best Actor. The previous was Sidney Poitier for In the Heat of the Night. Goodness Ooh, gracious. That's insane. Years in the 70s. I think it was so long before dude, I think that. It, dude, I think In the Heat, I think that was longer. It was so long before that. Um, it was either In the Heat of the Night or Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, but I think it was In the Heat of the Night. In the I Heat of the Night was 1960-something. 67, 68? So Sidney Poitier wins his best Oscar for that. Denzel in the 2000s wins his as the second uh, African-American actor. Big distance. Big movie. Good movie. Great film. uh, Directed by by Mr. Antoine Fuqua. I mean, it's incredible. So to now, uh, less than than 30 years later, have this movie. uh, It's it's too similar. It's way too similar. I'm not... I'm all for Shia coming back to, you know, he's all, he's done his forgiveness tour. He's yeah. trying to make his career built up again, but it's a very strange move altogether. I agree. It does sound like good casting. Um, yes. Sidney Poitier won for Lilies, uh, uh, Lilies of the Field. That's fine. I had both of the films Lil- wrong. Lilies That's of the totally Field, fine. which, no, you're you're good. Lilies of the Field was 1964, so even, even wider gap. Oh. It was like 40 years, like 40 years. Crazy. Insane. Um, absolutely mind blowing, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's hard. Sure. There are, there are always ideas that are similar in nature to certain films because they're like age old concepts that have existed throughout history, certain storytelling frameworks that have existed, um, that we see over and over again, particularly in animated films and, and, and certain, um, genre films and things like that. But like training day is an iconic, film and concept that everybody who watches this movie is, you know, just like how we read the plot synopsis, they're going to watch the movie and go, this is training day. <laughs> You've made training day, but with that, without right. Denzel Washington. So it's less interesting. And if so help me, if he shows up in any kind of character role, Oh man, <laughs> he wouldn't, but if he does, he might, he might, who's the director. I don't know. He, he might dude. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah, it's it. I don't know. It doesn't sound good to me. I'll be honest. Agreed. Um, okay. Moving along. Just last note. This this is. I'm I'm not gonna spoil anything. I just thought we should acknowledge the fact that there was what had to have been like a Guinness World Record for most high profile series finales to occur within the span of what like one to two weeks. Yes. One week. Um, Succession, Barry, Ted Lasso, and the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel all done. And that might not even be all of them. Crazy, crazy stuff. Um, the Succession finale did fantastically well. Highest, highest, uh, uh, you know, same night viewership of any, any Succession episode with 2.9 million viewers. Um, poor Barry. Why in the world did they put Barry... Barry was a good show. I haven't watched season four yet because of Succession. Because right. I've been watching Succession every Sunday night, and I don't want to watch another show. But Barry, you know, through three seasons was really interesting, and now it, it goes away because it was it was on after Succession on Sundays. Like, what is that? Yeah, and its, and its finale was the same night as the, the finale night. of Succession. 
No one's watching that. Nobody. Succession is, it's, I mean, it's the biggest show on TV. It's the Game of Thrones. It's, you know, it's the Sopranos. It's, it's the right. show. Um, what did you think about the succession finale? Just in, you know, in, in passing, no spoilers, no nothing. Oh, well, listen, don't check our social media because I posted something that is a spoiler. Sorry. And on our page. Oh yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? It says spoiler alert at the very first. Oh, that's fine. That's two words. So just, just scroll past. If you're a succession fan or you plan to watch it. Um, I believe that the writers of this show ended this show with the truest form of honor to each of the characters. Uh Uh And I agree with all of their choices. I do wish that there was one final hook to the episode. And I think there were a couple of routes to do that, but I'm still very satisfied with the ending. I agree almost almost exactly with that. I like I thought I thought the ending was was pitch perfect but needed needed one last shock and awe moment. Um but the character arcs are I mean just lovely. Tasty, mm-hmm. delicious, amazing. Um the show the show is just a gut-wrenching emotional ride through and through. Every season finale has been an absolute gut buster. One that just like leaves you in a puddle on the floor, contemplating your whole entire life. And this one was no different. I think, I think it's a really good ending. I think this is, I think this is on the Mount Rushmore. I don't think there's any question whatsoever that this is a, you know, I'll, I'll say a top three show. I mean, I like, I have to stop myself because I am the king of recency bias and I like I I want to anoint everything as the greatest thing ever right after I've seen it. Um, <laughs> listeners of this program certainly have picked up on that by now. But uh, you know, if I was if I was answering off the top of my head right now, I'd say it's my favorite show ever. I but I have to pump the brakes because I, I know that you know there have been a lot of good ones, you know, the breaking bads mm-hmm. <laughs> of the world. So, um, yeah, you could, it's tough. you could, uh, you could section it off as to easily one of the top three HBO original Agreed. series ever. Easy. Agree. Oh, I'm sorry. Max series, which if oh, you want to get up. technical, no, that's disgusting <laughs> because you know, Sopranos and succession are, are on those top two. Uh, the number three, I don't know. The I'd wire. have to look through the whole catalog. Um, there you go. Done. Yeah. I mean, I think it's gotta be the wire. I don't know. It's a, it's a good one, man. It's good. I think it's going to withstand the test of time too. It's just, it's got a lot going for it. It's beautifully shot, beautifully acted, expertly written the music is iconic um which you need that that's an important aspect mm-hmm. of this um it's just it's 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 really a sight to behold if you've been holding off on watching that show for whatever reason i have to beg you to to, to end your hiatus you you must like this is essential it, it just it's it's so it's so good it's and it's such a cultural milestone i think for for television too like i don't think people thought this could be done on tv in terms of like how good it is from a narrative storytelling perspective and where they go and how real it feels like it's so different than anything i've ever watched 
Very real. Very real. I was watching a TikTok today that was sh- scrolling the script from the an episode. Oh, yeah, from the season the two finale. Yes. Yes, I saw that too. And it was fascinating to see what was kept in, what was completely thrown in, ad-libbed in the moment, or considered by the actor, and then t- uh, tossed out there. A lot of Kieran Culkin uh, absolutely yes. twisted most of his lines took the basis and then just went to town with it, which I absolutely love and is exactly in line with the characters, but everyone else is really just adding their character tone on top of what the writer has blueprinted out for them. And they just work so well together. I love it. I've seen a few of those over the years and each one I've left thinking Kieran Culkin is a genius. Yes. (laughs) Every single time I'm like Kieran Culkin, man, just like, the ad libs. And I know he's probably cooked those up, you know, after a few takes or whatever, but it's just so good. It's just so good. Anywho, if you know, Ted Lasso lost me somewhere in the middle um, of the series. So I I haven't finished that one, but would love to hear your guys' thoughts on any of these finales. Same with Mrs. Maisel. I didn't continue beyond season three. Um, I'm a bit, I'm a, I'm a bit tough to please when, when it comes to TV, I have to admit. And so I would be interested to hear people's thoughts on on all of those. So if you've, if you've watched them, if you love those shows, please let me know. I'm going to try to watch Barry. Uh, Kirk, I'm sure you're – have you started Barry? We're halfway through the final season. Okay. Aubrey and I. What are yep, you thinking and... of it so far? Uh... I've heard mixed reviews, Kirk. I've heard mixed reviews. I've heard that it's not nearly <laughs> as strong. Is that true? You know, I was not a fan of season three. Mm. Um, I, I liked I liked season three. I have to admit, but you know, maybe it could turn around for me. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know it's a long episode. It's been a while. We had a lot to talk about a lot to get through. Um, we're getting back on track. we got a lot of exciting stuff. We're cooking up, you know, look out in, in the next coming weeks for movie reviews of all the big summer blockbusters that are coming our way, starting with Spider-Man across the spider verse, which will be, up on the docket for next week. Um, so look forward to that. And until that time, we'll leave you, as we always do, with a special thanks to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs, as well as the band Redrick, who created all that beautiful original music you hear on the show. Thank you so much, and we will see you all next week. Talk to you then. Talk to you then.